delight to be here uh, with you and uh, to see this lovely congregation. Uh, we're going to come to our New Testament reading. Uh, the sermon text is from Luke 17, reading from verse 7. realize I have a different version to read from. Uh, Luke 17 from verse 7. Which of you, having a servant ploughing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I say it is a delight to be with you this morning and uh, thank you to John for the warmth of the welcome. Uh, Thank you to those who introduced themselves to us before the service. Uh, It is a long weekend and perhaps you're feeling a little bit relaxed. I don't know what your circumstances are but uh, maybe you've just been relaxing over the weekend and it can sometimes be a bit hard to tune in to church on Sunday morning on a long weekend. Maybe you've been distracted by uh, the football game yesterday. Uh, maybe, maybe you watched the game on TV. Who watched the game? Yeah. Few of you did. I watched it. The only game of football I watched for the for the year, but I uh, did watch it. And uh, uh, it's it's so important as you listen to the game. Uh, you listen to the commentary on the TV. It seems to be such an important thing. And they're trying so hard to win, and they're they're trying to attain. Uh, the premiership and uh, maybe we're still distracted by it this morning it's still going on in our heads but I want you to put it out of mind if it was in your mind, put it out of mind and come and think on something incomparably more important Uh, think of those who who try to attain for the kingdom of God Uh, think of those who have uh, uh, striven so hard to accomplish for God And when I think of of trying to accomplish for God, when I think of attempting great things for God, I think of a man like William Carey. Uh, William Carey, you might know the name. He was a great missionary and uh, took the gospel to India back in the 18th century, pioneer missionary to India. Uh, He had a personal slogan And it was this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, attempt great things 
for God. Don't just attempt to win a premiership, you see. Do something that is fundamentally important in life and attempt great things for God. And William Carey did that. Um, he, he left everything behind, as it were, and uh, took the gospel to India. Uh, the truth is Carey wasn't always the nicest to his family, if you know his, his, his family life. But uh, he certainly captured something profound. Attempt great things for God. And that is the nature of our Christian commitment, isn't it? Um, we attempt great things for our God. This is our Christian commitment. Somebody else put it this way. My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Someone else said those words. Does anyone know who said those words? My heart I give to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Special prize if you know who said those words. I haven't got any prizes, but anyway. Who said it? Okay. Well, I've forgotten, so that's... No, it was John Calvin, a great 16th century reformer in Geneva. That was his personal motto. My heart I give to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. And that is the, the readiness and the eagerness with which we seek to serve our God. We give him our hearts promptly and sincerely. We're coming to Luke 17 this morning. Jesus here speaks of a ready and an eager commitment to God. Uh, we have a parable of Jesus. One of the forgotten parables of Jesus. This one is not so well known. Do you see in this parable the figure of a servant? And what kind of a servant is he? Well, he is, of course, a hard-working servant, isn't he? He's a good and a faithful servant. He does his master's bidding in all things. So follow the story through from verse 7. You'll see him. He's out there in the field, isn't he? Uh, not the football field. He's out there farming. What's he doing? He's ploughing or he's tending sheep. He works a hard day's work. At the end of his day's labour, he comes home. What does he do? Does he flop down in his chair, switch on the tally and stay there in a comatose state till the wee hours of the morning? Not at all. But he comes home, he puts on his apron, he picks up his recipe book, he makes supper for his master. He continues working. Already done a hard day's work and he promptly continues to work. Jesus puts it this way in verse 10. The true servant does all the things that he's being commanded to do. This is the true servant. He gives exhaustive obedience and exhausting obedience to God. And Christian person this morning, this is how you are meant to be serving your God. Prompt and sincere service. You are meant to be attempting great things. For your God. At which point you may well ask, but what are we actually talking about here? What are we actually talking about? I'm, I'm speaking in platitudes, aren't I, really? Attend great things for God. But what do we actually mean by that? Now, what great things are we meant to be doing for God? Because here I am, I'm just an ordinary person. 
I live an ordinary life. I'm not going to be a pioneer missionary to somewhere in the world. That's not me. What are we talking about? Attempt great things for God. What can you do for God this morning? Is there something great that you can do for your God? How can you serve like this servant in this parable? What can you do? Well, something you can do, mentioned in the first part of Luke 17. We didn't read it, but if you, just, if you have a Bible there and just look back a few verses, you'll see what Jesus was talking about before he goes into this sermon. In the first part of Luke 17, what was Jesus talking about? The answer is he was talking about your relationships. Your relationships. Jesus, in Luke 17, lays it upon you to maintain what we would call healthy relationships. He lays this responsibility upon you, in particular, of forgiving the person who wrongs you. You are to forgive those who offend you. And you are to forgive them again, and to forgive them again, and even seven times in the one day, if necessary. And you see, this is such an astounding command and requirement from Jesus. To forgive even seven times in one day. And this is the great work that you are meant to be doing. At least one aspect of it. This is extraordinary work. This is, this is exhaustive and exhausting obedience. Should you implement this? And so it's one thing to be a great missionary... But to forgive your brother, to forgive your sister over and over again, that's, that's something too, isn't it? That is astounding. And particularly if you do that, even when no one else is watching you, when it's just you and that person and the church can't see you and you extend grace to that person, simply because that's the call of Christ upon your life. That's astounding service to God. And when that other person cruelly explores the boundaries of your patience, when you've already done a hard day's labour with that person and you put on the apron and you continue to serve, as you turn the other cheek, that is, and as you forgive them even 70 times seven, well done, good and faithful servant. You have attempted and attained great things for your God. You're a true servant of God indeed. Attempt great things for God brings us straight to secondly this morning. Secondly, I have a question now. It arises out of firstly. Secondly, I have a question. The question is a question that was asked at the time of the Reformation. The medieval theologians, in fact, of the Roman Catholic Church had been asking this very question and the Reformers came along and they answered the question. I wonder what this question is. The question is this. What do you get for all of your hard work? 
What do you get for all of your hard work as a Christian? What is the outcome? What's the reward for working so hard for God as a Christian person? What do you get? This was actually one of the burning questions of the Reformation. Of course, we're kind of used to this question in a slightly different way, but the medieval theologians had been talking about this very point. What does the Christian person get for their hard work? And these medieval theologians uh, spoke about merit. The Christian person can merit this from God. They can merit that from God. They had different categories of merit. I won't quote the Latin expressions. You can ask Jesse afterwards, our uh, prize uh, theological student here. Uh, He'll be able to explain these things to you. But they were asking this very question, what do Christian people get for their service? And when the reformers came to answer, one of the passages they went to, Luke 17. In fact, if you go and read Calvin's Institutes, one of the writings of John Calvin from the 16th century, at key points you'll find him quoting this very passage. What do you get for all of your hard work as a Christian? Because surely you get something for it, don't you? You've got to get something. I mean... This is how life works, isn't it? You do something, you get paid for it. You put the effort in, you get the reward. This idea of merit is ingrained in us, isn't it? What do you get for all of your hard work? So we come back to the parable. What does the servant in the parable get as his reward? Comes home from a hard day's work. Does the master say to him, well, servant, sit down, relax, put your feet up? I mean, that at least would be something, wouldn't it? That'd be some kind of reward. Have a break. Jesus says, no. He has to keep working. No reward there. The master says, make me my supper. Doesn't sound very fair. Jesus is making a point. The point is, No reward. No accrual of benefits. You continue reading verse 9. The servant doesn't even get a thank you. Does the master thank the servant? The answer? No. Now, that's outlandish, isn't it? That's just wrong. (laughs) That's not the way employers should treat employees, certainly. This is a parable, though. Jesus is making a point. It's outlandish deliberately so that you can see the point. What's the point? No reward. Not even a thank you. Not even a thank you. The point is the servant has not earned anything. The master is not in the servant's debt. That's what verse 10 says as well. Verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus explains the whole parable, so tune into verse 10. If you haven't heard anything else, tune into verse 10. Verse 10, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which you have been commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. And this is the key to it all. We are unprofitable servants. 
What does that mean? Sounds like Jesus is insulting us, doesn't it? You're unprofitable servants. Is Jesus insulting you this morning? Is Jesus having a go at you this morning? You're sitting there thinking, oh, here we go. The, the preacher's having a go at me again. The preacher's being rude about me again. Unprofitable servants. It sounds like Jesus is saying, you're useless servants. You're good for nothing servants. Now, the ESV translation that uh, you had up on the wall there unworthy servants. It sounds bad. It sounds like Jesus is sitting there saying, oh, you can't get good help these days. Useless servants. That's not what Jesus means though. That's not Jesus' point. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying to you that you are a useless, miserable, good-for-nothing servant. That's not the point. Everything hinges on that word unprofitable. What does that word mean? Another parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25. It's a servant who was given some money by his master. He's meant to earn some money on it, grow the investment, but he puts it in the ground. He gets nothing from it. Jesus calls him an unprofitable servant. Now, he was a miserable, wicked servant as well, but he was also unprofitable because he didn't get any profits, you see. And that's the point in Luke 17 as well. You don't get any profit from your work. That's the point. It's not actually a comment on the quality of your work. It's a comment on the outcome of it. Do you see the distinction? It's not a comment on the quality of your work. It's a comment on the outcome of it unprofitable servants means you don't earn anything from what you've done the word literally means not owed not owed just think that when you read it you are a not owed servant you can still be a good and faithful servant but you remain a not owed servant. You at no point place God in your debt. You can work as hard as you want as a Christian person. You can do everything that you have been commanded. You can be faithful in every respect and you will still be a not owed servant and you're not alone in that it's not just you this is all the great people of the bible exactly the same situation you think of moses or joshua or david think of the apostles think of paul and peter i mean they did great work for god didn't they but they also are still not owed servants not owed servants and we sometimes think if i do all the right things in my christian life uh, I, I should get something back from god maybe god will give me an easy ride through this life maybe i'll become immune to life's problems because i've been such a good christian person not so you are a not owed servant maybe i'll earn my way into heaven by being a good christian person not so you are a not owed servant let me just check to make sure we've got the point. 
uh, Christian people today. What do you earn from living the Christian life? What's the answer? Nothing is the answer. That's what this text is saying. Nothing. You don't earn anything. Not a dime. Not a brass razoo, whatever that is. Nothing. That's the point. This was one of the radical realisations of the Reformation. They had the Roman Catholic theologians saying, oh, well, if you're a good Christian person, you will get merit. You will earn your way. And the Reformers came along and so often turned into this very passage and they said, no, no, that's not right. The Bible does not say that. It says you do not earn with God. When you've done everything you've been commanded, well done, good and faithful servant, but still you have not earned. You have not earned. Which brings us to final this morning. One thing left to ask. I want to know why. I want to know why. How can this be? It doesn't make sense. If you've just come in off the street this morning, this sounds absurd. It sounds really silly. You can work really hard and get nothing for it. That doesn't make any sense at all, does it? How, how can this be? And we almost, in our own minds, we're thinking, well, I can read this passage, but maybe I should go somewhere else, elsewhere in the Bible and, and find something that tells me I earn something. Uh, can this be? Well, let me say it this way. There are a few gadgets for the home that I think would be just marvellous. I've always been fascinated by the idea of uh, automatic vacuum cleaners. Automatic vacuum cleaners. I think these things are just tremendous. You know, the thought of them anyway. Uh, in, you know what these are. They, they Apparently you can just put them down on the floor and they, they go and they clean the house all by themselves. No effort required on your behalf. I think that would be great. I don't know if they actually work that well, but sounds good. But what I particularly like is this. How about an automatic lawnmower? Yeah. An automatic lawnmower. Now that would be marvellous. And I can just imagine it, going outside to mow the lawn, lying down in my hammock. I don't have a hammock. Just sort of lazing around outside, drinking glass of lemonade, and the lawnmower goes and does all the work for me. That'd be wonderful. Now you can go online on the internet, you can download instructions for how to make an automatic lawnmower, which I would do if I could, but I'm not mechanically minded, so I won't. But I can imagine it. Uh, I have a rather large backyard, you see. I've got a lot of grass that needs mowing. And I can just imagine it, making this machine, going outside, lying around, and it goes and does all of that work for me. And after I've made this machine and it's gone and mowed the lawn for me, will this mower then come up to me and say, now pay me? Give me my pay? Give me my due? Will the mower come up to me and say, Jared, you owe me? Now that would be absurd, wouldn't it? 
for a whole number of reasons, including we know lawnmowers don't talk, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. The lawnmower coming up to me, asking if I owe it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I made you. I made you. And you are doing exactly what I made you to do. In fact, lawnmower, you are but doing your duty. To use an old-fashioned word. It was there in the text, wasn't it? The lawnmower is but doing its duty. It is fulfilling its responsibilities. In fact, it owes me because I made it. And you, Christian person, after you've done all you've been commanded, what must you say? Verse 10, we are not owed servants. We have but done our duty. Do you see it there in the text this morning? You are not owed, but you owe. God doesn't owe you. You owe God. You owe God what? You owe God your heart and your soul and your strength. You owe him your obedience. That's what God deserves. That's his, his due. Why? Well, because he's the creator God, that's why. It makes him the boss. God is owed by his creatures whatever worship and service he is pleased to require of them. And I am there quoting the Westminster Confession of Faith which is a document that was written at the end of the Reformation period in the 17th century. What did you think was happening with your Christian service? Did you think somehow that you were adding to God? Oh God, look what I've done, look what I've added to you. That God then has to turn around and say, oh, well, thanks for that. Uh, this has really helped me out. I owe you now. Is that what you thought was happening? Here's what I have added to you. You, the, the eternal, infinite, supreme, sublime God. I've added to you. Now you owe me. Is that what you thought was happening? Of course, there's nothing that you can add to God, is there? that he would ever owe you. Now you might say this morning, well, well that's a little bit sad really. Because here I was, I was hoping for so much from God. I, I actually need so much from God. Now you're telling me I can't get it. Nothing I can do to get this from God. I'm a bit disappointed this morning. A little bit sad. This is a bit sad this morning. Of course, there's nothing sad about this at all for two reasons. Firstly, firstly, I don't want a needy God. I don't want a God who needs me to do stuff for him. A needy God, how's he going to help me when I'm in need? I want a God who's bigger than me. Okay? I need a God who's independent of me. But secondly, is this really sad? I was hoping to get so much from him, now I don't know how to do it. 
How do I get stuff from God now? Have I dashed your hopes this morning? And so we come to probably the great discovery of the Reformation period. What is the great discovery of the Reformation period? Well, there's good news, you see. There's good news. You can't earn with God. You can't demand anything from God. But it's not like you miss out either. I was hoping to get so much from God. I need to get so much from God. Here's the good news. Our God is the kind of God who just freely gives what you need anyway. You don't have to come to God and earn it. He just gives it anyway. This is the great discovery of the Reformation. You don't have to be the owed servant to get what you need from God. That great passage in Isaiah, Isaiah says, you who are hungry, you who are thirsty, come to me and buy what you need. Come to God, buy what you need. But Isaiah says, you don't need to bring any money with you. You don't need to bring any money. Why? Because God's just giving it away. This is the great fire sale. Our God is just giving it away today. You don't have to pry his hand open. Oh, it's so hard to get stuff from him. He just opens his hand to you. He freely gives to you. And you see today, people of God in Christ, he freely gives you all things. He gives you his son to start with, to die for your sins. He takes the penalty you deserved upon himself. He freely chooses to do that for you. And along with giving you his son, will our God not also freely give you all that you need for all of your life in this world and in the next? It's all from God, a free gift. You don't have to work for it. Because our God is the God of love. He is the God who is rich in mercy. The God who just gives it all away. Free salvation. He owes you nothing. He gives you everything. What's a word we could use to to describe this? How about we talk about God's grace? There's a word for you. This is grace. This is undeserved favour. You didn't earn it. He gives it anyway. It's his grace. How about we call it this morning... Amazing grace. That would be a good expression, wouldn't it? Amazing grace. At the Reformation, they spoke of sola gratia. Sola gratia. By grace alone. How are you saved? By grace alone. The Reformers are saying there, do you have to work for it? No. Do you have to be the good Christian person and uh, earn points with God? No. It's by grace alone. Sola gratia. Amazing grace. He makes your life whole and complete and you don't have to work for it. You don't have to deserve it. He gives it Anyway, everything that you could ever want or need and you don't have to work for it. That is amazing grace. 
This morning I hope you understand it, that there is not one thing, even the smallest thing, that you can earn from him. Because in Christ, it's already yours. When you come in faith to him, trusting in him, trusting in his resurrection, it's already yours. Why would you work for what's already yours? And what more is there that you could want? More than what is given you in Christ. Full salvation, even eternal life, complete forgiveness of sins and ultimately glorification and living in the presence of Christ forever. What more could you want? And see, with Christ, there's nothing held back. And there's certainly nothing else that you need. Which brings us back to the idea of duty. Duty, truest understanding of duty here. Duty is not trying to earn. This isn't mercenary service working for a wage. What's duty trying to do? What's it trying to say? Duty is trying to say, thank you. That's Christian duty, isn't it? Just trying to say thank you. If he says, I want you to go and open up new missionary routes into wherever, you say, gladly. Because I'm grateful. I'll do that. If he says to you, I want you to forgive your brother this week, your sister this week, even seven times in the same day, you say, yes, I'll do that. Gladly. I owe you my life. If he says to you, it's not your turn to take a break, You've been working hard all day, you come home, you've got to keep working. If he says to you, you've got to keep working till it kills you, you'll still say, that's fine. That's fine. This is my duty. And I do it gladly and thankfully. A debt of gratitude, you see. It's not about reward. So Christian, this morning, Christian this morning, accept your Christian duty. Attempt great things for God. Offer great service to God. Take the gospel where you need to take it. Offer your heart to him promptly and sincerely. Forgive your brother. Turn the other cheek. Do it all without seeking reward. But there's a debt of love. And when you have done all the things that you have been commanded, not that we ever do, but even if you did, when you've done everything you've been commanded, what are you then going to say in this forgotten parable of Jesus, a forgotten command? What's the command? What are you going to say? We are but unprofitable, not owed servants. We have but done our duty. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we so naturally think that if we work for you, that somehow we earn and attain and deserve. Heavenly Father, we realise afresh how wrong that thinking is and we ask that you would remove it from our minds and take it out of our hearts. 
And help us to see again the greatness of your grace. Such amazing grace. Heavenly Father, help us never to seek to be saved in any other way, but by relying upon you, our God. We thank you that you are the God who is rich in mercy. You freely open your hand to us. We thank you for all that you give us. You gave us your Son. You give us forgiveness of sins. You give us the hope of eternal life. There is before us, because of Christ, the hope of resurrection and living forever with you. We're so very grateful. So, our Heavenly Father, help us with our Christian duty then. Help us to give, a, uh, give you what you deserve, which is full obedience, the love of our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you would work within us, that we would give you what you deserve, willingly, gratefully, thankfully. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.